This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I am delighted to welcome Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith to the show. Sandra, welcome. I am thrilled that you're with me. Hello, thanks for having me. You know, I have to tell you, I uh, we tracked you down because I first read an article about you and your book in Maria Shriver's online Sunday paper, which I subscribe to and get regularly. And that article really moved me and it, it gave me pause. And today you're going to share your expertise about how rest can help us recover and renew the energy in our life. So thank you for being with me. Oh, I'm so glad that you were able to connect and we were having this conversation today. Yeah, I am too. So rest should be a simple process, but I bet that I speak for many of the millions of listeners out there that say some struggle with fatigue, others struggle with insomnia and stress. So walk us through, um, First of all, what's the distinction between sleep and rest and help us understand what rest really means? Well, I think for many of us, when we think about rest and sleep, we, we use those words interchangeably. And so we find ourselves saying that I'm going to go take a rest when we're going to bed or I'm going to rest on the weekend. And it's just this kind of obscure idea that we're going to just stop. We're going to cease doing activity for a period of time. And I feel like really that way of looking at rest has set most of us up to not utilize it as the tool that it is. And as I was doing my research and looking at this, what we discovered was that there are actually many different types of rest that we need. And what we came up with were actually seven specific types of rest that are needed to feel restored, to feel energized. And one of those types is physical rest, which is where sleep falls in. But even with physical rest, it has two components. It has the passive physical rest, and then it has active physical rest. So if we're putting all of our eggs, so to speak, in that sleep basket, then we're omitting all of these other types of rest. You're in essence only focusing on the physical, that one, and not looking at the other types of rest that are available to you. Would you walk us through the seven types? Because it was quite uh, eye-opening for me, and I'm sure it will be for our global audience as well. Yeah, so one you obviously know now is physical, and then the others are mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. Excellent, excellent. So give us a a, a bit of an overview of, of those seven. And Is this something that you developed or discovered or you unearthed in your research? Tell us more about that. Yes. Well, it was really more organic. I burned out myself. And as a physician, my way of processing through things is to research and discover what's causing a problem. And so when I burned out, I initially thought that for myself that I just needed more sleep. So I started getting, you know, the recommended eight hours, which is not typical for most physicians. And so it was, you know, reasonable to think that maybe I was just sleep deprived. But after getting those eight hours every day for months at a time and still feeling tired, that's what took me deeper into the research to look at what are the other areas of my life that I'm pouring out and not adequately repleting, actually pouring back into. And that's where those seven came from. Looking at myself, looking at my patients, a lot of trial and error, a lot of 
back and forth with surveys, discovering the different parts of our lives that tend to fatigue and lead to that feeling of exhaustion. And so, go ahead. No, please. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm just so excited about this conversation. So how did you replenish? What, What were the discoveries that you made with your research? And as you said, the trial and error and how you managed this in your own life? Well, that was really where the seven came out of. So let's, for instance, let's looking at the mental rest part. That was a huge one for me. My brain was very active. I consider myself an overthinker. I'm always thinking, always processing, always analyzing. And so when I try to lay down at night, I could go to sleep, but it took a while to get my head space to really clear out and to quiet down. And that is what a mental rest deficit looks like. Your, your cerebral space stays excessively active. For some people, it may be easy to think about your headspace the same way you look at your computer screen. If I ask someone right now listening, you know, how many tabs are open on your computer screen, I find that it ranges anywhere from five to 20 for some people that are open at any given time. So we multitask all the time is, and our brains look like that. It looks just like those computer screens with all these tabs open. And we have to learn how do we focus our attention? How do we clear out the space? How do we close those mental tabs so that we can get to a calm, quiet headspace? So I love the close the mental tabs visual. I'm I'm just looking at my computer screen thinking, okay, I I got that. I can relate to that. So I'm going to share something. I am similarly wired in that it is hard for me to turn off. And I'm a I'm a new uh, novice meditator. I'm I'm learning to meditate, and it certainly is a practice, and that is helping me clear out. But I've also given myself permission to realize it's okay. I don't have to think about nothing, but I can think about specific things and declutter those those thoughts. What do you think about that? As far as absolutely clearing out the headspace, or do you have any techniques that you would like to share? Yes, I think you hit it directly where where I tend to focus people on is that, you know, for some of us, that's very hard just to get to that complete silence in our in our cerebral space. So a lot of times what I have people do is if you find that, let's say, for example, you're trying to have dinner with your family, but your headspace keeps going back to the list of emails you need to work through yeah. and you're not able to actually focus on the moment that you're in. For myself, what I do is I create what I call a word chair that I'm going to have my brain sit in. So, for example, if you had a five-year-old and you say, sit in this chair, I'll come back in a few minutes, they'll be bouncing off the walls. You would discipline them to come back and sit in the chair. So I do the same thing with my head. I I discipline my mental space by saying the word I'm going to focus on for this word chair is family. So every time my brain tries to go to emails or Did I do this or did I do that or add this to my to-do list for tomorrow? The word that I think is chair or uh, the word that I think is family to bring my brain back to that mental word chair of where I want it to focus. And what happens is it helps me to keep my brain from becoming undisciplined and kind of jumping at whatever it wants to and and not staying in the place that I'm trying to keep it. So. Tell me, are are there long-term effects for those of us who have a hard time stepping away from work and, you know, that constant focus and omitting those regular periods of rest? Well, I think the thing that we find is that people who don't actually utilize these different types of rest, they stay in a, a level of fatigue where they are functioning out of their overwhelm. 
rather than functioning from a place of overflow. So people who are high achievers, who are who are used to really working um, and not feeling refreshed, can continue to produce even in their burnout. And I think that's probably the most dangerous thing that we're seeing when we're working with companies is that high achievers, they still produce while they're burned out. But their joy, their mental health, their physical health, all of these things, their relationships, all of these things start to decline and the quality of the work that they're producing usually is not at its best level. You know what I find interesting, and I'm not sure if this crossed in your research, but as an executive coach working with leaders around the world, I find that many organizations celebrate the the overwork, right? The workaholic, the overachiever because of the productivity, which is in and of itself a problem. But what I'm hearing you say is it's not sustainable long term. It's not sustainable. And really, the work that's produced is not their best work. We have a lot of people who are producing work, but it's not their most creative. It's not the work that they are capable of producing when they are producing from a rested state. So good segue. You mentioned creative. Uh, I often give myself writing periods. I, I, I do a lot of writing in my career, and I'm either in the mood or not. And it has to do with where my creative creativity is. So if I'm in that zone and the muse has hit, I will hunker down and say, okay, I'm going to write for a while. But what about creative rest? Why is that important? Well, creative rest, it is important for times, like you mentioned, when you're writing or doing things that most of us would associate with being creative. But you use creative energy just for problem solving. So what I find is a lot of people have creative rest deficits, not because they're necessarily artists or writers or musicians, but because they are they are people who are having to be innovative in their field. They're having to think outside of the box, come up with new ways of doing things, having to constantly solve problems. All of those are creative processes. And if you fail to recognize your need for restoring that creativity and for really pouring back into the place of your inspiration, then you become tired, but not because you need more sleep. You really need more creative rest. And creative rest at its core is is the rest we experience when we allow ourselves to appreciate beauty in whatever form that is, whether that's the mountains or the beach or looking at a lake or smelling flowers or being at the museum, looking at art or listening to music or at a play All of those forms of artwork and beauty, whether natural or man-made, help to awaken something inside of us. And so that's really at the core of creative rest. It's allowing beauty that is already around you to awaken the creativity inside of you. Oh, I love that. Sandra, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. I I just find your book juicy and delicious, and I devoured it, and I'm so excited that we're having this conversation today, Sandra. But what I love about the book is it has a lot of teaching stories. Is there a favorite that you would like to share? I think probably my favorite would be the one uh, specifically where 
I was uh, in the ICU where a patient was presented after she'd had a major car accident. And I think I love that story so much because her story, I think, reflects for many of us. She was only allowing herself really downtime between her commute from work to home and back and forth. And so she's constantly thinking, constantly moving. There's always something playing in the background. And so the only time she was allowing herself to kind of zone out was on this 20-minute drive through heavy traffic in a major city. So (laughs) obviously she ended up in a car accident because that is really not the time that you should be zoning out. And for her, it was just really interesting in how she assessed her life during that period of recovery. And on the other side of that, could see that she was forced into rest because she had to, you know, after you contuse your liver and, you know, rupture things, you pretty much are forced to rest for a period in the ICU. And she saw that she didn't want that to be the only way she got rest when her body was forced into a position of rest. And I find that maybe, you know, your or someone who's listening situation isn't that drastic, but I have so many people who present themselves as an internal medicine physician. They come in with all of these signs and symptoms that's basically showing that their body's trying to let them know we are in a danger zone. And rather than listening, they keep trying to ignore it. Wow. So powerful. You know, my hope is that there are leaders listening all over the world saying, okay, this is important. How can I be accountable and create a work environment for my employees, my direct reports, that is um, more open-minded about rest? So the question is, what effect does work environment have on rest? Well, one of the types of rest is so is sensory rest. And sensory rest, the work environment has a huge effect on it because how your senses are used in your workspace sometimes is an underlying level of stress that there are simple things you can do to help relieve it without having to greatly change your work environment or change jobs or quit jobs as some people start discussing when they burn out. Uh, Just for a quick example, I work with a lot of IT companies because that's a very stressed out group of people. And and recently, uh, all of us basically changed over to a lot of virtual meetings. And so there is an excessive amount of sensory overload just with the amount of of video conferencing we were doing. So all the little multi boxes with all the different people and all the different virtual backgrounds. And you're looking at all of this for longer periods of time that you normally would, because usually you just walk into the conference room and have a meeting with each other. What just some simple things we started having them do. Um, one simple tip was just, we had them um, come up with just a, a universal virtual background that everybody used on the team during the meetings. Now, what that did was it took out all of the extra visuals of people's background settings because you've got one person's working out of the kitchen. So now you're seeing their blender and all this other stuff. And the other person's working out of a bedroom and you're looking at their comforter design. Now we have everybody with a universal background where no one has an excuse for turning on their camera, which is part of how we get social rest by the experiencing the presence of other people and their mannerisms, their facial expressions, all that goes into the power of presence. So you're getting that benefit. 
you're decreasing the amount of sensory input because now you don't have all of these various backgrounds. You just have the individuals themselves. And now you don't have to stop having meetings, but you've lessened the tension of some of the meetings just by making some small changes. I love that. And, you know, as you were describing the uh, consistent virtual background, I, I can absolutely relate because we're looking into people's homes. So often people feel vulnerable that their privacy is being impacted, but the curiosity is there and it just takes your brain in a different direction. So you, you level that field with, with everybody having the same background. Brilliant. Yeah. So, so simple tactics. And that's yeah. really what most of this is about. You know, it's not about taking vacations. Vacations do not work as a burnout prevention strategy because most vacations are exhausting. We do not rest or do rest restorative activities during them. So we really have to learn how to implement restorative activities in the middle of our busy day. That is at the core of what a restful lifestyle looks like. In the book, you write about the gifts of rest. Tell us what that means. Well, for myself, as I was processing through all of this, you know, I got a lot of benefit just from practicing and doing these different types of rest and understanding the seven types of rest. But what I, what really helped me was that on the other side of it, there are additional benefits that happen just naturally. That's why I call them the gifts of rest. You learn how to create per, better personal boundaries. You learn that how reflecting actually helps you prioritize your day and how you're going to spend your time. You, you take back control over your yeses and your noes. You start communicating better with people. There are just so many different ways that I saw my life improving that I wasn't intentionally trying to improve. But as I learned how to practice emotional rest and to be very authentic in how I'm sharing myself with people, there are just so many other benefits. Each type of rest brought out new gifts. And it, it just was, it was one of those things where it did not feel like a chore. It was, it was a pleasure every time I started to learn the different ways I could rest. I can hear that enthusiasm in your voice. It's delightful. It's really palpable. Sandra, you offer a unique resource for your readers called the Rest Quiz. Can you talk a little bit about the Rest Quiz? Yes, I think from all of my patients, for sure, and a lot of people that I've coached since then, when I discuss with them the seven types of rest, the very first thing they say is, oh, my goodness, you're giving me seven more things to do. But that's the thing. Most of us, we are already doing these things. We're already using energy in these seven areas, and we'd be totally depleted if we weren't already adding some restorative activities naturally. What the rest quiz does is it helps people be able to identify the one or two areas that you are in greatest need of rest. Where's your greatest rest deficit? Because once you focus your attention on, on getting rest specifically in those areas, that's when you start noticing the greatest benefit. That's when you start really feeling better. So at restquiz.com, you can find out which of the seven you're most efficient in. Then you don't have to try to feel like you're getting all seven at one time you can concentrate on the one or two you really need most. Lovely. And I'm going to repeat restquiz.com for our listeners. You know, as we wrap, uh, Sandra, I think it's really interesting. You've heard this. I've heard this. People have said, rest is a luxury. You know, we don't need that much sleep. You can sleep when you're dead. I actually heard someone say that to me once and I, I was infuriated. I, I love to sleep. It's the best restorative thing that I do for my body every day. So what do you say to those who talk about rest as a luxury? I always ask them, how's that working for them? 
because typically it's not. Most of us are, are, are looking at rest as if it's something we should war against. And then in the, in the process, we continue to pour into a burnout society, a society that keeps us all depleted and drained. And the only way to change that is to have a few courageous people who understand the power of rest. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, I learned so much from you today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and expertise. I want to say your book title out loud so our global listeners can get out there and, and purchase it. It's called Sacred Rest. Recover your life, renew your energy, restore your sanity. And it is available on Amazon and at all major book retailers. Sandra, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issue you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.